for those of you who don't know me, my name is Allie Braun and I'm the Director of Special Projects at International Commission. It is such a joy to be able to host these E&E trainings. E&E stands for Equipping and Enabling, which is taken straight from our mission statement. So International Commission exists to equip and enable believers worldwide in order to conduct church-based evangelism projects so that we can reach unbelievers and then make disciples. So we are committed to the Great Commission. We believe that it is a um, it is a command. It is not a suggestion. And that is for every believer everywhere, no matter what age or stage of life you are in. So the Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus's words, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So we love that. It's not an option. It is a commission that we are dedicated to at International Commission. We are talking about short-term mission trips, which is going to be super interesting because International Commission does a lot of short-term mission trips. And within our culture, there's a lot of opinions, lots of some strong, strong opinions of people saying um, short-term mission trips are bad, or I love short-term mission trips. I go on several a year. Um, but what does the Bible actually say about short-term mission trips, if any? Because we want to take everything back to scripture. And so that is exactly what our presenter, Bucky Elliott, is going to be talking to you all tonight. And it's really great. So make sure that you keep your eyes and your ears open for the next about 50 minutes. Um, Bucky has been involved with Global Missions Work since 2006. And he served with the International Commission for over four years. So he, he comes from a plethora of, of experience with short-term mission trips. So he's the best person to talk about this tonight. He is a husband and a father of five young children. He's a videographer, avid reader, he loves adventures, and he's a huge sci-fi fan. His whole life watching, loving sci-fi. And Bucky has actually been to 26 countries and has lived in three of those. And even though he was born in Germany, he resides here in Texas right now, but he feels most at home in Tennessee. So it seems like his heart is kind of like in a few different places. And I know Bucky and wherever he goes in the world, he leaves a little bit of his heart there too. So even though he lives in Texas, his home is, is in Tennessee, I know that his heart is truly for the world. But something that a lot of people don't know about Bucky Elliott is that he survived a Category 3 hurricane in Haiti. Now, I don't know if he wants to brag about that. I don't think that's something that, like, I don't want to experience that so that I can put that on my, like, little did you know fact about myself. But praise God, he is still with us. Maybe he'll share a little bit about that experience today. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about it. Oh my goodness, that that sounds a little terrifying. But without further ado, welcome Bucky Elliott and tell us all about are short-term mission trips worth it or not? All right, yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> um, like Ali said, what we really want to do first and foremost is find out what does the Bible say about short-term mission trips, if anything, because there's all sorts of reasons uh, that we can find to promote going on short-term mission trips or, or lots of reasons to explain why we shouldn't go. But for us as believers in Jesus Christ, we want to look toward the Bible uh, as our foundation for all truth. And yes, in fact, the Bible does have a lot to say about short-term mission trips and how we do them and whether or not we should go and all of that. So let's go on to the first uh, slide and talk about what does the Bible say about short-term mission trips? Well, we see examples of uh, servants of the Lord going on short-term missions. Um, and in the New Testament, one great example is Paul, the apostle. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, um, who was saved and met the Lord, and then became a church planter and a shepherd and apostle and a missionary. And he went on missionary journeys, and he did so as a ministry model. That was kind of the main thing that he did uh, he went with the support of local churches, 
And uh, a lot of these projects were more than one or two weeks, like we typically see a mission project, but they were short-term projects or emphases, and he relied on the hospitality of local believers, and he relied on the financial support of churches all over the Roman world where he went. And he worked with them, and he he helped them out and shepherded them and they supported him and his missionary band in return. It, it was a real partnership. He would stay for a while in a certain area, uh, a lot of times with people from that church, and he would proclaim the gospel in synagogues, in homes, uh, and even out in the public square. In the book of Acts, it tells us that he would reason with uh, both the Jews and the Gentiles about Jesus Christ to convince them that he's the Messiah. So that's what Paul was doing most of the time on his missionary journeys. Uh, I was just reading Second uh, Corinthians this week in my Bible reading plan, and uh, chapter 1 and 2 especially give us a really great snapshot of how this worked. Uh, Paul was depending on those churches in Corinth as he traveled between Macedonia and Judea, where he was, where he was um, from for a lot of his life. Uh, he partnered with those believers and his team and his missionary team at that time included Timothy, Sylvanus, and Titus. And we know about a bunch of other partners he had at other times like Barnabas and, and Peter. Uh, but he talks about, in those chapters, his carefully thought out plans uh, that he made in submission to the Lord because he didn't want to depend on human thinking. So I thought that was interesting that, that he pointed that out. Uh, he was careful not to add a burden or any grief to the people who were hosting him or the believers there. And he told them that together they were the aroma of Christ to those who were perishing. And the mission was the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. And he worked with local churches to do that. So we can learn a lot from that. Another example is when Jesus sent out his his apostles, of course, but not, I'm not talking about the Great Commission or Pentecost. I'm talking about uh, in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus sent out the 12 on a mission trip. Uh, let's see, part of chapter 9 says, Summoning the 12, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. So this was a short-term trip that the 12 went out on um, before they really even knew who he was or what was going on. Um, this was before his, his crucifixion. This was before a lot of the miracles and famous sermons and parables that he told. But he went ahead and sent them out in his power. And I think that's really interesting. Similar to that, um, if somebody wants to read an account from Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, if I can get a volunteer to read that. I'll do that. All right. And this is when Jesus sent out uh, another group of disciples that, that weren't the apostles. Luke 10, 1 through 11? Yes. Okay. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them ahead of him in Paris to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out his workers into the harvest. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't be moving from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, we are wiping off um, as a witness against you, even the dust of your own town that clings to our feet. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I'll tell you one thing that I, that I uh, in honesty, haven't practiced, and that's verse 11 there, uh, telling the, the people of the town that... <laughs> 
uh, it's, I'm, I'm bearing witness against them because of their unbelief. But what we, I think we can learn some practical things from this mission trip, even though this, this is a unique time and a unique set of people before Christ had died and resurrected and sent his Holy Spirit. Uh, but there are some things that we can learn from this model of a mission trip. Um, I like verse 17 when it says that they returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And that's really cool when we see things like that happen, the miraculous things happen. And when we let God be in control, then uh, we're going to see him move and work. So sometimes we get to experience really, really cool things when we step out. But Jesus said to them, um, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So the most important and most exciting thing and what brings us the most joy going on mission is that we know Jesus Christ and we can tell others about him and the way to be saved and restored and made whole and, and know that we're forgiven for eternity and that we'll be with him. Jesus is the prize. And so I think that's uh, important to keep in focus. And that's what he told them, even in that, that really unique time. So some other lessons that we can learn from that. Uh, go. The Great Commission is for everybody. Be aware. Live by faith. Be focused, be flexible, bless others, be content, accept what's given to you, heal, proclaim the kingdom. Those are things that we should do on a mission trip if we can learn from uh, the, the 70s mission trip. So here's some lessons I think we can learn from that. To go, to be aware, live by faith. Be focused, be flexible, bless others, be content, accept what's given to you, heal, and proclaim the kingdom. So we know that the Bible also says that the Great Commission is for all of us and making disciples of all nations uh, with the power of God is what we're all called to. So we have, we kind of have a standing go and, and uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 15 says that he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. And I think that means that that's the purpose for our salvation. If you, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, then you've been called to go, and your purpose is to go and uh, live for Christ and tell others uh, about him. Um, let's see here. Uh, really, this, this plan for God to use his people to reach the nations was really the, the plan of redemption from the very beginning. Uh, before Jesus even came and died and, and rose and went back to heaven. Uh, this was God's plan. He's a missionary God. And if we look at the story of the Bible from Genesis all the way through to the end to Revelation, we see that God has this mission um, to be a missionary God, to reach all nations and to bless all nations through his people. And what was the first command given to humans? Does anybody know? I'll give you a hint. It was, it was repeated to Noah. Be fruitful and multiply. That's it. Be fruitful and multiply. So to, to Adam and Eve, that meant to have kids and to cultivate the land, right? Uh, among other things. And to Noah, it was the same. Populate the earth uh, with people, with, uh, with the, the yield of the land that you grow, uh, animals that you breed and all of that. But there's more to it than that. To be fruitful and to multiply image bearers of God uh, means to multiply the people who, who reflect God's character. And so uh, the, the charge to the church really is the same. Uh, if you remember the story of uh, the Tower of Babel where people were scattered and, and given different languages, the day of Pentecost was kind of the, the redemption of that. It was a, it's a reflection of that. Uh, for the church. So I'm not going to get into a big old theological lesson about just that instance, but what I see there is that um, 
God's plan for his people to be fruitful and to multiply was now given to the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? That we, his people, his church, are the ones who are meant to go and and um, multiply image bearers of God. And how we do that is by reconciling uh, sinners to God through the gospel, sharing the gospel. So that's what we're called to do. And the real, really the only question left is, what is your role in missions? What is it that God specifically has called you to do? And what are some ways that we can be involved in that? So when we're talking about uh, short-term mission trips as one of those opportunities in, in particular, we want to see that we are doing this well and that this is a worthy investment because there's so many other ways that we can carry out the Great Commission, right? So mission trips are, it's no secret that they can be expensive in terms of dollars and cents. Mm -hmm. uh, in the United States, you, you can expect to pay at least a few hundred dollars to serve here in the continental US. If you're going internationally, it's gonna be thousands of dollars probably. If you're going to work for uh, a week or two in Africa or Asia from North America, you're going to spend a, a few thousand dollars. And so we want to make sure that that's going to be worth the money. So uh, here's some of my responses to the question, is it really worth it? Is it worth the time? Is it worth the money? Uh, one thing that we know from just testimonies from people who serve long-term on the mission field, and this this response, uh, this trend comes from several different missions agencies, and they all say the same thing, that so many full-time missionaries on the field report that they were called to the mission field during a short-term mission trip. And so this is an important way, I think, that God uses short-term mission trips uh, in the modern church to awaken people to their call to missions and what's possible. Uh, they they may go somewhere and fall in love with a certain nation or people group or type of ministry, and then the Lord can use that to call them. So I think they're important for that reason. Uh, you may go on a short-term mission trip and not even know what God is going to do there and end up uh, called to this long-term. So I'm not going to tell my whole story, but I went, uh, I've been on lots of different kinds of mission trips, but I went with International Commission to Nepal and uh, several years ago, and uh, just really fell in love with that model of ministry of just sharing the gospel with people in homes and partnership with local churches. And, uh, and God put that on my heart to do that full time. I didn't know when that came about later. That's a whole uh, story of its own. But God did use short term mission trips to call me to full time ministry. So I identify with that. There are benefits in building relationships with the people that you work with on a mission trip. Uh, both your teammates from your uh, country of origin, and then also the nationals that you work with. We build friendships there, especially in Christian ministry, because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you've ever been on a cross-cultural mission, you know that when you meet those people, there's an instant bond of uh, brotherhood, and you have a, a, a sibling-type love with those people, even though you've never met them. Uh, and I think that's a really cool thing but we can build those relationships and then uh, those can become a long-term partnership down the road that benefits uh, people in both countries. We also build our relationship with team members and our relationship with the Lord. When you go, uh, when you step out in faith and go and do something that's challenging, that has great risk and cost and that's scary, I mean, when you're outside of your comfort zone, God is gonna move and you're going to grow in your faith, kind of because you have to. Uh, we had a testimony from um, one of our uh, young participants who went to the Philippines uh, on a team with me uh, in 2019. And that's what she said, that she, she grew closer to the Lord because she had to depend on him every day because she didn't know what she was doing. She had to depend on the Lord. And so her relationship with him grew. There's also benefits of learning other cultures, which include uh, kind of expanding our perspective on the world. People in other cultures uh, see some things differently from the way that we see them. So they might have different insights on 
uh, values and morality. They might have different insights on the Bible based on their culture and how they see things. Uh, worldview can be a really powerful factor in uh, how people uh, both relate to scripture and the Lord and how they reach other people. And so really, um, if, if you have a burden for a, a certain country and you want to reach them for the gospel, people who live in that country are the best, uh, the best people to do that. And so, of course, if we're trying to figure out how can, how can I go and minister to this certain people group? Well, someone from that people group or uh, a close culture are going to know how to do that. And so we can learn from each other. It's a uh, really great practice for uh, sharing your faith if you're going on an evangelism project that's focused on that. A lot of Americans don't share their faith. Um, I mean, you can look at uh, studies from Pew and Barna and others and find out, sadly, that the vast majority of those who call themselves evangelical Christians in the U.S. Uh, never share their faith with anybody or maybe one person in their whole lifetime. And so a short-term mission trip is a great way to train uh, believers how to share their faith. And when they come back home, they're very well practiced because they've been doing that over and over and over. If you're going and doing a, a different kind of project that is a mercy ministry or a construction project, a relief project, that can be a great way to hone uh, some of those skills. So when we're talking about cost, I also want to think about the negative cost of, of what, what is the cost if we don't go? What, what are we missing out on if nobody goes on cross-cultural missions? Uh, now today, if you look at the numbers, there are, there are actually more uh, international missionaries being sent from the global south and east which means like Africa, South America, uh, East Asia. And so this is, this is a phenomenon that is happening and growing. And so we see this uh, from, from all, all sorts of different cultures. Um, but the United States still sends um, uh, a good number of long-term and short-term missionaries. And so we want to... Yeah, I just want you to, to think about the, the scope of that and what, what would happen if suddenly all of that stopped. So this year, we kind of got a glimpse of that, right, when people couldn't travel uh, cross-culturally. But what happened was that ministry continued and partnerships continued uh, through different mediums, like this, like on Zoom. But those relationships had to be established for those partners to be able to work together and help each other out. And those may never have happened if people did not travel on short-term projects and collaborate with each other and learn from each other. Um, also, what, what's the cost of not going just to us as Christians, just to us as the church? Well, it's, it's a disobedience if we don't go and we've been called to go, you know, plain and simple. When we're thinking about the money, um, I think it's helpful for us to remember that God owns it all anyway. Uh, the Bible tells us that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, he owns the hills too. He owns all of it. He made all of it. And so if you feel that you are called to go on mission, the monetary cost is kind of the last thing that you should think about as far as I'm concerned, because uh, when the Lord guides, he provides. It's kind of a little catchy phrase, uh, but I think it's true that uh, raising funds for missions is not only um, actually a benefit of going on short-term trips, uh, I would say it's not even really a burden at all because we're partnering with God and we're exercising our faith to be able to fund uh, a mission project. And in fact, I think there's another benefit in raising funds, and that is that you can involve others in your mission. So um, some of our, our staff members at International Commission, we actually, in, in other ministries, we raise funds for uh, our salaries as well. And so we kind of uh, live this as a lifestyle of inviting people to partner with us uh, on mission. 
And whether you're doing that full time or for a short time, really it's not, um, you're not asking people for money. You're really inviting them to join you on the mission field. So one benefit of, uh, you know, writing a support letter or meeting with people and calling them and telling them, hey, I'm going to go to uh, Kenya on this trip and here's what I'm gonna be doing. Um, would you like to join me by going or helping to send me? That can raise an awareness that may not have been there before. And then you can come back and tell a report to the people who supported you about all that happened in the ways that God is working. And now you have become an ambassador for the ministries that you've been working with and just for the kingdom of God. And maybe someone who was unengaged in mission now is going to know more about uh, missions or at least that one that you were working on. So I really see that as a benefit too. Um, so drum roll and ominous music. This is why you're all here probably. We want to talk about do mission trips do more harm than good? Is that a possibility? Uh, I hear this argument uh, sometimes. It's, it's kind of popular um, and growing. Uh, critiques against uh, mission trips. Are they colonialist? Are they, um, do they create dependencies and things like that? Well, I want to recommend a book to you called When Helping Hurts. The subtitle is How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. And really the, the concept of this book is um, that sometimes in our efforts to do good, we actually do lasting harm instead because our, our ministry models are not well thought out. And especially as believers, we want to make sure that when we are working cross-culturally that we're actually empowering and equipping people, enabling people uh, to do sustainable ministry on their own. That's what a real partnership looks like, you know, a hand up rather than a handout, right? Um, so I want to talk through some of those concepts, and these are also concepts from other research uh, that some of us have done, and just from some of my experience too. Um, so these are some questions that we want to ask when we're evaluating a ministry model or planning a specific mission trip. Uh, one question to ask is, is this project poorly or hastily planned without considering social, cultural, or economic nuances or worldviews? And why are those things important? Um, because we kind of have an idea of what will work or what might be effective, but in another culture um, with sort of uh, different value systems, different etiquette, uh, or different just economic factors we don't understand, uh, different worldviews that we might not understand, uh, the things we think will work might not work. Even things that we've seen proven in our own backyards might not work uh, overseas in another culture. Uh, you know, they might not even work uh, within another culture here in the U.S. If you live in a city like um, DFW, the DFW Met Metroplex, Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, there are lots of uh, parts of town that are predominantly uh, comprised of other ethnic groups. And within those little communities, uh, you may not have an effective ministry. Uh, I mean, a, a ministry that may work in a, in a predominantly Anglo middle-class area might not work the same in a, in a different area. And so uh, just because of worldview and culture and customs and expectations, all of those things are, are little factors that can play together to make a really big difference. So we, we want to be aware of those things and plan carefully. Uh, another question we want to ask is, does this ministry model create an unhealthy dependency on outside resources? Uh, we don't want to go in there as the great Western Savior and, uh, and give out a lot of money and resources and project, whether it's intentional or not intentional, project that uh, the help is coming from us and it will only come from us because that kind of creates a dependency that when we go, then all of this support, all of this ministry will go away. We really don't want the ministry to stop when we leave. Uh, another question could be, 
uh, is this, is my motive in planning this or going on this trip, the Missio Day, or is it about the Missio Me? So um, somebody tell me what the Missio Day means. The Missio Day is literally the, the mission of God, mm. the mission of God. And that mission of God is uh, what we describe in the Great Commission and that we see all throughout the Bible, that God wants to multiply uh, image bearers of himself. He wants relationship with everyone, and he wants the gospel to go into all nations so that he can bring people in every ethnic group on the earth, no matter where they live, what their skin color is, what language they speak, what nationality they are. He wants people from all nations to worship him and be in relationship with him. And that's the Missio Day, to take the message of the gospel to all those peoples. And so if our focus is something other than that, uh, maybe it's a Missio me, maybe it's my mission that, that it's going to benefit me the most. Uh, am I going to help people and make myself feel good? Am I going to go and do this certain thing? Um, or am I going to help people help people? But really, we want to empower people to help others. And really, we're working together to do that and that there's a mutual benefit. So what I'm talking about is really a, a sense of humility, but also a sense of focus. If, it's, if this is not about God's mission, then we need to evaluate if it's really something that's going to be worth the investment. Um, a couple of questions that I think are important to ask. They're hard. They're hard questions, but... Um, could the money be spent better if it was used by locals? Could they, could they just, if, if all, all the money I'm spending to go on this trip or to do this project, if I could put that in the right hands of some trustworthy locals, could they do a much more effective job than, with all that it costs to send me? Uh, another one is if you're working with overseas missionaries, does this add bur a burden to their ministry and their schedule and their work-life balance or their budget? Um, a lot of times overseas missionaries like the International Mission Board or other groups that are somewhere working somewhere long-term host mission teams and, and it takes a lot of their time to kind of schedule out things for them to do. And so we want to make sure that we're actually doing something that's helpful, something that's been requested and is going to make a long-term difference. Another question is, is this too ambitious? Um, kind of again with Missio Day or Missio Me. Sometimes we get the idea that we're going to go and solve some big problem. And the reality is, and a lot of times, the, the problem that we want to go and solve has something to do with economic poverty. But the reality is that poverty is really complex. Um, poverty is not just a lack of resources or money. Uh, there are a lot of systems that affect people, and people affect systems. Uh, and so what I mean is that individual handouts won't fix multi-structured or long-term problems. Some, sometimes uh, long-term poverty exists in a certain area because of uh, governmental problems. Maybe it's a war-torn area. There are persecuted people groups, minority groups, and things like that. And there are all sorts of, so of reasons that um, people in a certain area or, or a certain group of people might be oppressed. And you're not going to go and fix that in a week. You're just not. And so uh, we need, to, be, we need to, to have a wider view and not be too ambitious about what we're trying to do. So we're going to go on a short-term trip. We need to, to know what we can do in a short amount of time that's really going to bless someone in a way that's going to empower them to make a difference long-term. Um, so what I thought might be a good idea to do is to discuss some bad examples that maybe that you've seen or experienced in your life of, uh, mission trips that maybe weren't planned very well, but didn't have the result <laughs> that was intended. So I'll just ask if anybody has an example of maybe a, a mission trip or a mission project that just didn't, that just wasn't what you planned it to be. Let me, let me add one caveat to this. Please don't name names. Uh, don't name a ministry leader or an organization or a church that you worked with. Uh, just kind of a general example. I have one. So it was actually my um, very first mission trip that I went on and I loved it. And it was something that gave me that desire to, to continue it 
in doing mission work. Um, we weren't encouraged to share the gospel. We went to build a road and um, I had the goal in mind. I was like, I want to share the gospel with one person. I didn't know any Spanish. who was in a Spanish speaking country. And so I'd pray and I was like, okay, Lord, give me one person that I can encounter that will speak English. And he gave me that. And so I got to share the gospel with somebody in English, which was really cool that I encountered. Um, I didn't have any way of connecting them with any local church because I didn't know of any local church after that. And, you know, leaving there, there's always a thought in my mind of, did we take jobs away from locals whenever we were building this road? And so there was a lot of good in that trip, but we weren't encouraged to do the most important thing, <laughs> um, which was to share the gospel. And I was like, I know that's what I have to do. Um, and so I, even though I did get to share the gospel, which of course, you know, we have to depend on the spirit to, to lead people and everything. And we are as soon as we leave. Um, but it would have been great if I could have, you know, connected them. Hey, here's a local church that you can go and meet with these people or let me get your number so I can connect you with these people. And so it's not like a, a horrible story, um, but there are some things that it's like, you know, this could have been better and like encouraging us to be a part of the Great Commission is, you know, what we're supposed to do. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, let me give one example from uh, my experience. Uh, I was in Haiti and uh, this was, gosh, this was probably 2006 or 2007. There's me and my little crew uh, from a church in the U.S. We were working with a, a church there in uh, Haiti. And um, this was in the early days of a partnership that was kind of just developing. And so some of us just wanted to go to this church that we, that we had met and do something. So they kind of found things for us to do throughout the week. Just, you know, these people want to do something where well, there wasn't a whole lot of planning. So let's get them to paint some chairs in this little schoolhouse across the street. So we did painted all these little chairs, little metal and, and wooden chairs while the locals watched. <laughs> so kind of in the back of my mind, I was wondering, like, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what would happen if, if, uh, someone just you know paid them to do this instead uh, maybe that would create some more opportunity for them but regardless they watched us and eventually some of them got involved and so we felt good about it had a good time couldn't speak to anybody because none of us spoke creole at that point and they just kind of sent us over there um, but we did something nice and blessed the people and that's what our heart was so that was a good thing i would say nothing inherently bad but a few years later uh there was, I went back and there was an earth, I mean, a uh, um, hurricane, Hurricane Gustav blew through um, and we were there on the southern coast and I uh, lived through that and have lots of stories about that. But in that process, all those chairs uh, were destroyed. So something that was well meant and, and was a loving gesture didn't last very long. Also, uh, an earthquake came, that's, uh, uh, you saw the cracks in that building and destroyed what was left of that school anyways. So there you go. We, we, we intended good, but it just didn't last. So sometimes though, helping does help. And this picture right here is uh, a chart that uh, shows you a bunch of different factors that we want to consider when we're considering an evangelism ministry cross-culturally. And so you'll see that there's, a, I'm not going to explain this, but I just wanted to show you that there's all these different factors that we want to consider. Where are we going? Who are the people there? Is there a church there? Uh, how reached are they? What's the best way to reach them? How can we work with the locals to reach these people? All of those are sorts of things that we want to consider. And if we do that and we have a good local partner, then we can have a really helpful uh, mission trip. So go on to the next slide, if you will, Allie. Here's some questions we can ask um, to make sure that we do have a well-planned and beneficial short-term project. Is this project mostly planned by nationals? Again, these are the people who know their culture the best. They know all of those little factors that we don't know about. They're gonna uh, have a long-term impact. Uh, is this project easily multiplied in that context? Is this model of ministry something that they can take and do easily without a huge expense? Um, is, is this a model they can pick up easily and communicate the gospel this way with people and they're going to understand it or is it you know something foreign one example of that is uh, a lot of cultures are an oral culture they they don't uh they don't emphasize 
reading and writing. They emphasize storytelling through oral hearing. And so we want to make sure that our ministry model lines up with that. This is something they're going to be able to do long term by telling stories uh, out loud and people are going to understand all of the examples and parables that, that might be used to grasp the gospel and place their faith in, in Christ. Uh, does this equip and enable the people there? Or are we doing something that once we leave, they're not going to be able to continue? We want to make sure that we're doing something to, to train and empower the people there that they can be excited about and then that they can quickly train someone else. Um, is this going to make a difference when we're gone? I think we've talked about that a lot. Okay, let me tell you another story real quick. This is, this is uh, an example of one done well, I think. I was in Argentina with uh, an IC team and we were working with a little church um, outside Buenos Aires and uh, we were just going around and sharing the gospel with people who had been prayed for, had a relationship with these church members, sharing the gospel with them, seeing people come to faith. And meanwhile, we were training some of the young adults uh, to share the gospel in the same simple ways. Well, at the end of the week, you can go to the next picture, uh, I got to see some long-term fruit of that, even while we were just still there, because a few of those um, young adults and teens went up and gave their lives to the ministry. Now, sometimes you don't know, was this kind of a, you know, a mission trip hide sort of thing, but I'm in touch with some of these kids still. And so Lissandro, Rocio, Luna, and Silvio that you see in this picture, they are still sharing the gospel, and some of them are training in ministry. Uh, Lissandro, uh, in particular, he's the guy kind of in the, in the lower left with the gray shirt. Uh, he, is, he started preaching on Sundays in his church. So that was just a really cool thing to see, a long-term impact. Mm -hmm. Does anyone else have any examples of a good mission trip they've been on, or a positive, or um, everything that Bucky has covered, a good example? I can say I've been on uh, five mission trips, and they have been examples, wonderful examples of how things should be done. Uh, they were either all by um, uh, IC or at least partially sponsored by IC. And as we went through those qualifications for a good mission strip, I would check it off. Yep, yep, yep. Everything was included. It was well prepared ahead of time. We had a great impact on nationals. Um, when we left, we left our evangelism tools right there with them to use. Mm -hmm. We taught them how to use it, and we left with full confidence that this was going to continue. And uh, I have to say, I'm still in touch with many of the people that uh, we ministered with and to. Great. Praise the Lord. I will say, I actually read the book, When Helping Hurts, before I came on staff with the International Commission. I was preparing to come on staff, but I had not yet um, started my job. And um, so I was reading this book that someone recommended to me who was pretty anti short-term mission trips. And I was sharing with them about IC and I was kind of getting like, oh my gosh, am I making the right decision? Because at this point, I, I don't think I had been on a trip with IC yet, I just knew God was calling me to the organization. So I was reading this book. I knew all about the organization, but as I'm reading it, I felt even in my spirit, I was like, International Commission is very aligned with when helping helps. Like we are doing things right and biblical and sustainable and working with the locals. So I was very encouraged by that. Um, again, if you haven't already read the book or if this is the first time you've heard of it, I would highly recommend you checking it out. Um, it's very eye-opening, but I've been on many missions trips throughout the years and um, all of them really pale in comparison to the experience I've had with IC. And I know, and I, I'm not saying that to be biased, but just with the organizations I have been with in the past, um, I see really stands apart because of the emphasis on the partnership and the training and the equipping um, so that after the teams, the churches and the believers there are not left with nothing and kind of like, okay, well, the team left where we don't have anything to do now. But yeah, the purpose is to continue to, um, live out this lifestyle of evangelism and discipleship and training others to make disciples. Uh, if, let's look at that chart real quick. I think it's the next thing, Allie. Um, 
four stages of development. This was developed by Ralph Winter, a mission leader. And I just want to briefly touch on this real quick and show you um, that I think of the most effective mission trips will happen kind of in this partnership and participant stage. So of course we need pioneering missionaries to go and make contact, of course. We need people to go and help train new leaders. Um, but I think those, you know, are best left with, with really qualified people who are doing this more, you know, full time and as much as possible using nationals or close, close culture uh, ministers to, to kind of develop and grow local churches. But where our, uh, where I think a short term mission trip works the best is in this participant stage where there's still mutual benefit going on. Uh, there's there's partnership going on where we can train and show uh, a certain model of ministry to people and from them. But that when we leave, that type of ministry is still on long term. So I'm running out of time, so I'm gonna have to skip past. This one. Uh, and I can't tell you uh, more about it. But this is this kind of shows you what can happen when a ministry model is easy to multiply. And, uh, and there's no dependency really created by the people who are coming to visit. A church is handed a model of ministry, and then they can teach that easily to other churches, and then those churches can teach other churches in a way that we know that um, it's simple, it's focused on um, the gospel, and it's empowered by God's Holy Spirit. Because we really don't need to go. God uh, can work, but we do need to work together. So do we want to, uh, do, do we need to prioritize uh, physical or spiritual needs when we're going on short-term mission trips? Well, again, what did Jesus do? Uh, spoiler, you know, he did both. We see examples of Jesus um, healing uh, lepers. He fed thousands of people, delivered demoniacs. He, he healed a woman with an issue of blood, raised a dead girl to life, all in just a, a couple of these chapters, right? that we see in Matthew and Mark, and of course, many others. And sometimes Jesus didn't even, uh, didn't even, you know, preach a sermon, and or sometimes he even said, don't tell anybody. So that can be sort of confusing to us. But what we know is there was an effect on those people's faith. And, and we see that, um, you know, a, the blind would uh, follow him, or the man delivered from a demon wanted to go and tell everybody anyway. And we see those things happening as an effect of God's kindness. Matthew 20, 34 shows us that Jesus was moved with compassion. Uh, and so, of course, Jesus met needs out of his compassion for people. Uh, here's something I, I, like to, I like to think about is that, you know, Maslow hadn't been born when Jesus, Jesus was walking the earth. And he hadn't identified the, you know, the pyramid of, of needs. But Jesus knew what those are already because Jesus invented people. So Jesus knows what the, what the practical needs of every person in the world are, but he also knows what the deep, he knows what the deep core needs of every person are. Of course, that's to know him. And so we want to meet those needs uh, with his leadership and guidance. Uh, when we do this, we can open doors for the gospel. Uh, when we meet people's needs and demonstrate the love of Christ to people, demonstrate the gospel, then it gives us an opportunity to share Christ with them. Um, Jesus said that we would go and do the works he did uh, and even greater things. Well, what does that mean? Uh, Jesus came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the poor, set captives free, heal, defeat sin and death, and restore what sin has messed up. And so that is our calling. We get to participate with Christ in doing all those things. But I want to emphasize that even when we meet someone's physical needs, if we, if we feed the starving the reality of our broken world is that they will die one day anyways. And we may just be de delaying the inevitable if we don't preach the gospel to them as well. If we don't share the only message for hope in mm -hmm. uh, eternal life. So we need to make sure that, that we're doing that. Um, when we're talking about meeting physical needs, we need to know, like I said earlier, that poverty is not just economic. There's so many other factors there, but poverty is also psychological. It's spiritual. Um, and one example of that is, is Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus was not materially poor. Uh, his poverty was not economic, but he was spiritually poor, and Jesus knew that. And when he met Jesus, what happened? Reconciliation. 
right? And an entire community was healed. Social wrongs, economic wrongs, justice, injustice um, was undone and restoration started to happen. And that's what we can see. Uh, let's see, Ali, I'm probably about out, but I wanna make sure that we talk about um, going. How do, how, do I, how do you know if you should go and what can you do um, whether you're called to go on the mission field or not? So I'll have to be brief on this, but um, let's go to the, how do I know if I should go? Uh, here's some questions I think to ask if you're considering whether you personally should go on a short-term mission. Do I have a burden for a certain people group or a culture or a country? Um, and if you don't know, I recommend praying through uh, our International Commission's project list. You can go to internationalcommission.org slash go, or just go to our website and click go. Look through that list and just pray over those and see if you're called to go uh, on one of those projects. I also recommend a resource called Joshua Project, and it will tell you about lots of different uh, unreached people groups in the world. Pray, pray for a different unreached people group every day or pick one and commit to praying. And you'll be amazed to see what God lays on your heart. Maybe he's calling you to go short term or long term to reach a certain people group. You don't, um, you don't know without praying. Is your interest Christ centered? So we talked about that a little bit. If you just want to go experience new cultures, that is great. Vacations are awesome, but they're not missions. So we're going to make sure that we stay focused. Do you want to make disciples? Do you, want to make, do you want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the way that you can only do with his power? We don't want to go and do something on our own just because it's a great idea. If you're able to go, if you have the capacity and the resources, what is your response? Maybe your response will tell you what your responsibility is. And whether you go or you never go, maybe you never get on another airplane again, um, we're all called to the Great Commission. And so there are ways that we can be involved in missions, um, whether we do go or whether we reach the nations from right where we live. So what are some ways to do that? One is going, of course. And in going, uh, I think we've, we've talked that uh, up and down. Consider where you might go that's going to be in line with the Great Commission and focused on a sustainable long-term mission and built on relationships with the body of Christ. Welcoming. So welcoming as, as what we, we'd call a, a world Christian, somebody who is focused on their life, entire life is focused on and structured around the mission of God. Uh, there are people who live all around us, especially if you live in a, in a major city, from all sorts of different cultures, all sorts of different uh, people groups, language groups around the world. And you'd be, you'd be surprised maybe about how many people from how many different countries live there, especially if you have a university nearby. Um, there are international students, and there are probably there's probably an international student ministry, um, especially if it's a, a Christian school or a Bible college. Um, but if not, there there's somebody who is reaching out to international students, and that's a great place to start uh, to welcome people and to show them the love of Christ. Uh, there's another statistic that, um, and this is just based on the things that international students report. Uh, and I think 90% of them say that nobody ever invited them into their home while they were studying abroad. And that's something we can change. And it's easy to change. If you live near a university, just, just find out, um, who that ministry or group is that's uh, reaching out to internationals and they can uh, introduce you to somebody who would love to come to your house for dinner. Mm -hmm. And that's a great open door for the gospel, especially because those people are gonna go back home. And what if they took the gospel with them? What if they took the saving faith of Jesus with them? That's just a, an exciting thought. Sending, if you can't go, you can send. Uh, there's a famous quote from John Piper, um, you know, that you can go, send, or disobey. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're called to the Great Commission. so. If you can't go yourself, you can send someone on a short-term trip, or you can support a missionary, either a, an expat or a national who's working overseas long-term, uh, and that's a great way to partner in the gospel. Mobilizing. 
is sending other people, um, whether that is the same thing as sending, helping to fund uh, people to go uh, long-term overseas, or whether that's working with a missions organization to uh, find and uh, equip and enable, um, recruit people to go and join God's mission overseas. Um, one thing that you can do right now is think about someone who you know, uh, who you can invite to go on mission with you, or that you can suggest uh, a mission opportunity for. Praying is really important because, uh, like I said, that's how we stay in tune with God's heart, and it gives us uh, it gives us a posture of humility before the Lord, knowing that He has a mission and He has a plan, and we're only going to know that if we are in prayer and listening to Him, and He's softening our hearts. But we also want to pray specifically not just for mission opportunities, but for the mission of God itself. Um, if I were God, I would not leave probably, I mean, if it was up to me, I'm talking about in my finite mind, if I was God, I would be God. But if, if I were planning out um, the mission to save the world, I probably wouldn't leave it in the hands of faulty humans. But God did, <laughs> and he gets the most glory through that somehow. Um, and so, uh, praying is really important for us to, to stay attuned to that and, uh, to pray for certain people groups all around the world. Um, so what, one resource for doing that, for praying for the people groups who need to be reached with the gospel, that God is using other people to reach, uh, requires a lot of prayer and, uh, Operation World is another resource um, they have uh, published books that are prayer guides for praying for uh, different countries, different people groups. It'll tell you a lot about uh, a bunch of details about um, different different people groups and how you can pray for them. And then there's also uh, Joshua Project. So I think those are uh, they they both have apps as well. Joshua Project and Operation World, and there's websites that go along with them. And JoshuaProject.org, I believe. Uh, you can sign up for a daily list of people groups to pray for. So every day you'll get a different uh, um, people group from around the world and you'll get some information about them, um, uh, their level of access to the gospel, what needs to be done to reach them, and you can pray specifically for that people group. And then Operation World, similarly, you can learn more about um, certain cultures and people groups. So I'd recommend that. Um, Ali, what else would you add to, uh, to some of these practices of a world Christian? What I would recommend to you guys right now is write all five of these down and kind of rank them in order one through five. Um, five being your strongest um, discipline as a world Christian and one being your weakest and how you can grow in the one through four. Um, or maybe if you don't wanna rank them one, two, three, four, five, maybe on a scale one to five, just rank where you're at with each of them. Cause you could be a four or five on all of them or a one or two or three, but really look at this list. Cause this is a way to involve yourself with the great commission. And this is part of the equipping and enabling you to share the gospel and make disciples. And you can do that through all five of these areas. So take a moment right now, write going, welcoming, sending, mobilizing, and praying down on your piece of paper, take a minute, rank them and and just ask the Lord how you can grow in maybe your weakest one or what's an area where you, maybe your strongest one, you can do something different. If you've been doing the same thing for a long time, how can you switch it up to maybe ignite the fire in a new way? Um, yeah, that's what I just, that's what I have to say about that. Um, also one more point on Operation World that Brock, that Bucky brought up. Um, I have actually, I have a copy of Operation World right here. It's like an encyclopedia for yeah. the world. Um, it, it talks about every single country in the world, gives lots of statistics as to the languages, the culture, um, the religions. It has prayer points, how you can be praying for this country, challenges for prayer, 
um, answers to prayer. So again, you can visit their website, you can buy the book, or you can download the app for free. I have both of the apps for Joshua Project and Operation World. It's just really handy to have on my phone, but excellent resource just to grow in your awareness of the world, of countries, and of people groups who need Christ. And right there, it's, it's an area that you can grow in praying for the world, if that might be a weakness of yours right now. And this is all of these all of these um, practices here are um, really best rooted in prayer um, because you might not know how to really rank these um, uh, even now when I do that it's it's hard to really rank them exactly what am I best at and what do I need to grow in the most Let's pray about that um, because again, this is God's will, God's mission, and he wants to use you on mission. You are already called. And so these are ways that you can be involved in the Missio Day. Um, but you want to do that uh, submitted to God. And of course, he can lead you in the best ways that you can grow in each of these, where the opportunities are around you and what your next step may be. Because we can't tell you what your next step is. Um, that's really between you and the Lord, but we can give you these recommendations of, of places to begin and to pray into, uh, and then to follow. But the important thing is, of course, that you do something about it. Um, once we identify these areas, the temptation is to, um, not follow through. The temptation is to, to just fall back into your routine and then wish that you were still, you know, more involved in mission. But uh, all of these are things that you can do right now, today and tomorrow and the next day mm -hmm. uh, and find opportunities and follow those as the Lord leads. That's exactly right. <laughs>